Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by Stewart Travel Guitars. See the incredible stowaway travel guitar at stewartguitars.com. Also brought to you by Idea Bench, makers of hot rod inspired pedal boards and pedal board accessories at ideabench.com. Microphones for Inside the Gillivers are brought to you by Road Microphones. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Braun. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for episode 21 of Inside the Gilliverse, where we talk all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with great pleasure once again to welcome our host, this our co-host, or our guest this evening. We don't have a co-host tonight. We have a we have a great celebrity co-host tonight. <laughs> it's nice to have her uh, from fantastic episodes from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, writer. Jennifer Hutchison. So you're a celebrity co-host now, okay? Just so I don't sound like a complete idiot. Okay, great, right. awesome. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. You know, it's all this talk we're talking about Tom Schnells and all those bad things I was saying about Tom off the air. Uh, I totally <laughs> forgot. I don't have a co-host temporarily, so you're you're it for this evening. But I tell you, if any indication of social media of uh, people were sending me messages all over the place, they were so excited that you're going to be appearing on the show. I've got text messages. I've got Facebook messages. So you have quite the fandom not only from people watching the show, but people that have worked with you in the past. Uh, so uh, this is going to be a treat, and I, I'm really grateful for your time this evening. Thank you for having me. That's so nice to hear. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to jump right into some questions, and uh, we've okay. got one right off the hop from one of our uh, YouTube um, channel members and one of our good friends, Lori. And she says, um, I know that you can't talk a lot about Amazon's uh, Lord of the Rings, but can you tell us how you were chosen to be part of the creative team's incredible lineup of talent yeah um yeah uh i was not looking to uh to leave better call Saul. you know i mean i've obviously have been in that universe since season one as an assistant and worked up so i, I really wasn't wasn't looking um and amazon asked if i would come in and just kind of do like a general meeting uh and i was like okay yeah sure why not you know um and i went in and and then they started talking a little bit more about lord of the rings and then they were like you know, would you like to meet with the the showrunners? And I was like, of course I would, because I want to hear what the show is. You know, like just generally curious. Um, and I did, and it, it it was a great meeting. And then it just sort of kind of kept growing from there, where I was like, oh, I'm not actually going to do this. I I love Saul. I love my family there. And I think that um, I don't think I could have left for anything less than Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, it was it was one of those things where it was kind of a once in a lifetime sort of opportunity. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge genre fan and and I love Lord of the Rings. And so it was kind of like, how do you uh, how do you stare this in the face? Um, uh, so it's like a heart heartbreaking decision in a lot of ways. Um, but I did. So, yeah, it was really um it was just sort of serendipitous that it was kind of the timing. I was, you know, between seasons and 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 and. I didn't go looking, you know, it's like they just sort of landed on my door, um, which is, I guess, in keeping with uh, with the mythology. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of us, it was the same thing where we just weren't necessarily looking, but then they came knocking and uh, we sort of formed this, I don't want to be super cheesy, but, you know, this really beautiful fellowship um, of of people and, and you know, it's it, it was a hard decision, but it, it was it's been such a wonderful experience that, like, I feel, you know, it was worth it. Oh yeah, 
I had to leave my 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 friends. <laughs> <laughs> And the family, right? The, like, with so many yeah. guests, I think everybody that's been on the show, cast and crew, have said how it's like, even Michael Solvis last week, he says, you know, it doesn't always happen this way to have like a, you know, be working and, and, and really love every part of your job, every person that's on the crew, you know, the family, uh, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. So I can see where yeah. it would be hard for you to let that go. But I know all of them would be like, if you don't take this gig, you know, like take the gig, take the gig. And, and that'd be might one of those things where if you turned it down, looking back, you know, 10 years from now, looking back, you're like, oh, man, that was probably one of the, the biggest mistakes I've ever made. Not, you know, <laughs> turning it down, possibly. So that's fantastic. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thanks. That, yeah, it was definitely one of those moments where I was like, you know, what will I regret? And, and, and you know, then there's this sort of weird opportunity where now I'm watching Better Call Saul as a fan, which has never happened to me in the entirety of the, you know, Breaking Bad universe. I've, I've been a part of it since the beginning. So I always know what's happening. And so being able to experience it as just a fan has been really um, interesting and gratifying in a, in a, in a, in a way I didn't expect. Yeah, that's almost like, you know, I, I don't I won't get into politics whatsoever. But if you're like, a, if you're the prime minister here in Canada, or you're the president of the United States, you get all this glory, and the, the secret access to Area 51 and all that kind of cool stuff. And <laughs> I guess I guess Area 51 in your case would be Vince's scripts and your scripts and all that right, kind of stuff. Yeah. And now the okay, sorry, uh, Jenny, your credentials are cut off. Now you have only see what's happening live on TV. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I will. The good thing is, is they didn't mess it up. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Come on, guys. I put some, I put some good work down here, some groundwork. Don't don't ruin my characters. Um, yeah. But we'll talk later on in the, in, in the program. I've got a question based as a fan. I'm going to ask you as a fan uh, towards uh, season six here. But there's a couple um, there's a couple questions coming in. One is a super chat from the Saul Goodman Twitter account. Uh, it's nice to see uh, Saul Goodman Twitter says, definitely need to chat on how you and Vince came up with the iconic I'm not in danger uh, Skyler, I am the danger in Breaking Bad's cornered. Yeah, I wrote cornered down as a, as an, and that's one that um, Michael Slovis directed, which is cool, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yes. So yeah, can yeah. you can you share a little bit about how that came together? Yeah, um, that was so that scene was such a huge uh, scene, and and the way the show works with the writers is we we really break things down and in, in very meticulous detail um, when it comes to most of the show, but really except specifically those kind of scenes mm -hmm. um and so you know we had talked we had talked through so much of it um and the line um uh the line uh, was more about you know i'm not the danger i'm not in danger i am the danger like that was that had been in the room kind of really from the beginning um or or, or at least really early on this idea of like him turning it on his head of like he's often been seen as weak, you know, by Skylar and, and him being like, no, I'm, I'm the scary strong guy, which is funny because, it, you know, it actually, to me kind of has the opposite effect of like, I'm, I have to scare you, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, no, that, that danger sort of um, couplet was like, was really early on. And then, and then writing in writing the scene, you, you know, you kind of add more of that subtlety and the back and forth and, and all those little extra details. Um, and that happens with a lot of scenes where we have sort of a, like a touchstone, like line or beat or exchange. And you kind of, those tend to stick um, around, at least in some form, uh, by the end. Okay. Okay, well, that's good. And I, I really did enjoy that episode and uh, many of your episodes as well, too. And you've got a lot. We've got them all listed in the description as well, too, the ones from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul that you've uh, uh, written. And uh, it's it's so it's so funny. One of the things we'll talk about um, is the amount of 
uh, I mean, the diversity in the in the writers' room. I mean, uh, one of my yeah. friends who I know you know well, Glenn Mazzara. Um, he is yes. a he's a strong advocate for women in the writers' room. I mean, he he goes to extreme lengths to make sure uh, not only their voices heard, but their same pay and you know all that kind of stuff. But there's yeah. a great team of women writers in the room, and uh, I think that a lot of that has to go uh, on a big nod to Vince, right? Uh, for you know bringing in this talent. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes, yes, and you know, and and with Better Call Saul, you know, Vince and Peter both Peter. Um, really working. Um, to make sure that that you know we have that you know gender equality um, in the room, you know I think there was you know a definite uh, decision to kind of be you know and a lot of people you know to really make sure that that voice was was being represented in there, um, which was good and 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 helpful for me. You know there were times when the balance was more in one direction, but you know by the time I my last season on Saul, it was really equal, and I think they've actually tipped. Um, in the other way uh the other way now which is kind of funny because you don't necessarily think of it as a which is great actually because this idea of like well it's kind of a guy's show mm -hmm. um and the idea of like no but uh, we also write like guy shows and mm -hmm. and i think it definitely helps play out in characters like him and um you know even mrs kettleman and and yeah. you know like like people like like that kind of uh, allows a little more of that perspective and you can get a little more subtlety not that the guys can't write those characters but well, having it. that lived experience definitely helps within the room yeah it's it's a great team and it's nice to see you know some of them carried over to better call Saul uh which is which is great but it's an amazing team amazing team and we're blessed yeah. as fans uh watching it and now yourself as a fan you get to see what uh your your friends uh you know back at the office or, or the zoom zoom office are writing right. um here's a, a question from another one from our friends and from our youtube members karina she says in better call Saul season four episode nine was your was it your idea to come up with the bell backstory for or the the backstory for the iconic bell given to hector by Lalo. In a way, it makes Lalo have an eventual unknowing hand in Gus's death indirectly, it seems. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that pretty early on when we decided we wanted to have um, uh, Hector, you know, Tio in the show, mm -hmm. uh, there were all these things. Like, with Better Call Saul, it's like, oh, what do we want to give a backstory on? Because there's a balance. You know, you don't want to do too much backstory or, like, explain, like, literally everything. Um, but the bell always seemed like a good one because it's such a weird bell, you know, like it's not just like a normal little bell that you would expect to be on on his wheelchair. It's like very kind of ornate. Mm -hmm. And so it always felt like it had to have a story. Um, and so there was always this intention to to try to explain it. And as the story kind of kept evolving and we brought Lalo in, um, it felt kind of like the perfect opportunity for like lalo to be the one who gave him the bell and then also you could tell a story about lalo and establish the kind of guy that he is um while also you know for fans of both shows can you know it's like a little easter egg of like oh this is this is where the bell came from so it just felt like a really fun opportunity to kind of uh tell a backstory while also telling forward story with it mm -hmm. um which is always you know kind of the ideal that's what you want for sure. And it is, it's an iconic character in itself. It's very cool. And something I didn't even know about until the other day, you, I'm sure you know this. Um, I didn't, I was talking to uh, my friend Warren uh, Royal that runs uh, bobbleheads.com and Royal Bobbles. They make a lot of the uh, Better Call Saul action figure or the bobbleheads and mm -hmm. the Hector Salamanca. Have you seen those bobbleheads? Have you seen that? No, I haven't okay. seen the Hector one. Okay. I mean, I've seen, I've seen Saul. And Let me grab this one just for a second. Cause there's a reason why I'm talking about this story. So here's Hector here, right? Okay. Oh my now, if you listen to the bell, 
<laughs> Vince, um, Vince actually sent. Uh, so they're all licensed. They're officially licensed by uh, you know Sony Pictures and everybody. Um, sent uh, Vince sent the audio file from the board from the from the master uh, files of the sound file of that bell. So that that bell that you hear is Hector's bell. Isn't that cool? That, I am not surprised that that is 100% something that Vince would be like, well, it has to be the real bell. <laughs> yeah, it can't be substitute, not some little bike yeah. ding or something, right? It can't be. Yes, so. yes, that is peak Vince Gilligan brand right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's and what it is, it's one of those It's the, it's one of those voice boxes that you would sample a human's voice, right? Like whether you're mm-hmm. singing or, if, you know, like you get like the Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond, it, the samples, you know, the voices. Well, it's made for that, but it's sampled that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, there is a super chat question that came in from um, Shawshank. Shawshank, and by the way, Shawshank, uh, he just had a milestone on his uh, YouTube channel. He d- reviews Better Call Saul, great channel. Uh, says Confessions is one of my Breaking Bad is one of my favorite Breaking Bad episodes. How did the writers come about in deciding how Walter would confess? Good one. Oh my gosh, um, you know, I think I feel like that was always a fairly early on we kind of came up with that idea so much of Walt in those final the final season was um you know he kind of becomes the antagonist you know he's the bad guy you know like who's the villain every season and 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 Walt truly you know the the point I mean obviously we had we had uh antagonists for him but like he really was the central villain of of the last season and so having him confess and be kind of um hubris of it you know, was, was, was very appealing to us um, because he, he just gets so out of control and he's like really feeling himself, um, you know, (laughs) at the end there. Uh, And so I think that was, that was, that was a lot of it was just the idea of uh, hubris, but, but then also pulling Skylar into it because it ends up being, you know, it's a conspiracy between them, right. Mm -hmm. They end up kind of doing it together. So that was also really sort of an appealing thing of like, what's a thing that, they can kind of they can kind of do together um, that 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 will that will play um, interesting for for the show and 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 put them on the same side in a weird twisted evil way. <laughs> yeah, really put uh, really put uh, Skylar into a bad position with her family. I mean, to do that against yeah. Hank and Marie, you know, it was, was horrible. Little did she know what she was in for. You know, she, she would have been yeah. smarter to go right to the DEA and make a deal with Hank or something. But the, you know, wouldn't have been made for great TV either. But wow, incredible. <laughs> uh, Bob has a question, says, Jennifer, thanks for being inspiring through your writing and on Twitter. How can writers get um, more and more skilled at putting subtext into dialogue where a lot of ideas and emotion are, are implied but not spoken? Uh, yeah, um, I think sort of, yeah, subtext. I love subtext. It's, you know, it, I think it can be hard to do, especially in, you know, TV and, 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 and screenwriting just because, it, it can be slightly discouraged at times, you know, because you have such a short period of time to tell a story. You need to make sure that people are understanding. Um, my trick with or my like technique mm-hmm. <laughs> with subtext is, you know, I tend to write a scene with all the text out there, you know, the first time. So it's like, this is what this scene is about. This is them saying that this is what they're feeling, just kind of getting it on the page so that I know what the scene is about and then making sure that that works, that the emotion of it works um, and the thrust of it works. And so, uh, once I do that, then I go through and I start being like, what is what is like the subtlest way I can say this and still make it understandable, but keep it from a character saying, I'm really angry at you for doing this. Like, how is the way that they would say that 
um, where they're not saying that, but they're saying something that that expresses expresses that and pulling it back and pulling it back and pulling it back just kind of as you go through the revisions um, and then finding the line between like uh, intriguing subtext and, you know, like completely opaque, you know, you can't understand it. Um, it's, it's, it's challenging, it's practiced, and you usually can take it further than you think. Um, and then at a certain point, you have to have other people read it and be like, are they getting what this scene is about? So. Makes sense. Something I've learned greatly from a couple writers, yourself being one, just while reading some of the things on your Twitter, and one, and I like that the fact that you know you'll do some some ask me anything questions about writing and things like that, and it spawns some great conversation. I've learned this from you just recently, it's probably maybe within the past few weeks. Someone had asked you and your writing process about writing music, like if you hear uh, you know uh, Van Halen's jump playing on the thing, whatever, right? So you're pretty committed if you write that in. And Tom had shared something about, you know, writing uh, pets or animals into a scene. You better be darn sure you want those pets and animals, you know, into a scene because there's all the logistics involved. But with, with music, I think maybe there's two two reasons why you might do it. One, um, for, the, for the sake of the story, but would, some, would the other reason maybe be licensing sometimes? Maybe you just might not be able to get licensing or maybe too costly for just to have it on the, in the scene for, you know, 15 seconds. Is, is, is licensing ever an issue by not writing it in or... Um, if, you know, licensing is just an issue in general. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not usually an issue for not writing by not writing it in. It actually can kind of be the other, it can sometimes work against you because, you know, if you write a song in, um, and then you can't license it Mm -hmm. or it is too expensive, which, which happens music, you know, music rights are, are, are very, um, expensive. Um, and you put a song in and then you can't get it. Then people are like, but it's supposed to be jump. Why isn't it jump? You know? And then, and then you kind of run into trouble. But um, yeah, you know, usually what you would do is if you have a really specific song in mind, you you could write it in the script, but you would also just be talking to your music supervisor and kind of getting ahead of it. You know, yeah, like, this yeah. is something we want to use. Can we license it? And, and you know, having them like really pursue that early on and kind of figure out what the what um, what it entails. And, you know, they tend to be able to work magic. Um, but, you know, you don't always get what you want mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> um, and then you have to adjust yeah so that's that's a thing about put writing music into scripts and putting temp music into cuts is sometimes you can get attached to something and then it doesn't work out and so you have to like find something new mm-hmm. uh, which is a challenge in itself <laughs> I think I think Thomas naming his company uh, Super Music Vision is uh, is a perfect title for for that I mean they what they do you know I mean they they the, what he has in his head, you know, he knows what he's got in the archives, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure it comes to, you know, to to you guys when you're writing, and okay, we can do this here, we can do this here, this would be perfect, or I'm sure sometimes you go to them, and I don't know how that whole process works, but yeah, he's certainly, his team is one of the very best in the business. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of times we go to them and say, what are you feeling for this, and this is the kind of vibe we're looking for. And he also sends, you know, playlists, you know, periodically of, of things that he likes to help you know, if something inspires. Yeah. And I have songs that I listen to regularly from that playlist that never ended up in the show um, because it's just, they're great songs. Um, yeah, no, he's, he and his team are, are pretty amazing. And, and, and they find stuff that I think, you know, you wouldn't necessarily find like, um, there's something about going for like a really well-known song and, and it definitely has its place, but there's also something about finding some a song that people aren't as familiar with, you know, and yeah. kind of, kind of really bonding it to that scene. So you're not thinking of like the other movies that you've seen that have that song. Um, because if you do that, you want to put a 
twist on it, you know? So it's not like, oh, this is, oh yeah, that's the song that you play when you go to, you know, the club or, you know, that's right. the drug den or whatever. Well, Gordon Smith educated me once uh, when he was on the show. I think did he? Um, I think it might have been in a tweet. Uh, I was I was tweeting about one of the scenes. One of my favorite scenes in Better Call Saul was, uh, you know, after Howard was pursuing, uh, relentlessly pursuing Jimmy for the job, on a job, on a job, and you know he throws the bowling balls over uh, over Howard's <laughs> fence at his gate. And there's that really build up a real percussive, and I, I just assumed right away it was one of Dave Porter's scores because Dave's really uh, yeah. known for a lot of percussion and things like that. And Gordon's like, no, no, that was uh, one of Thomas's things, you know. And I, he told me the name of the song, and I'll never remember it in a million years. Um, but it's so cool that you know you think sometimes sometimes you think it's stuff that's in the archives from the music supervision, and it's Dave or the other way around. So just yeah. all the way around, the music is great. But here's a good question from uh, Nat Romero. She says, "So I'm assuming you departed from Better Call Saul after season four. Uh, what do you miss the most from being inside the Gil- or uh, from being out of the Gilverse or being inside the Gilverse for so many years?" Um, I mean, I miss my uh, colleagues mm-hmm. the most. Um, I miss the writers, and I also miss, you know, the the cast and crew. Um, you know, because we, I, you know, bef- when you could, you know, I would go to set for my episodes, and you really, you know, you form a bond with people, and you're creating this char- these characters. Um, you know, with the actors, you're having these are dialogues that you have with them about who these people are. Um, and I miss that a lot because uh, we have really thoughtful, uh, talented actors on that show who um, are so deeply invested that it is a conversation um, and not, you know, not being talked at. It's, uh, you know, a, a back and forth. And so I miss that the most. I, and I miss my friends in the writer's room and, and, and just those stories and characters I love. I love the characters on Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very attached to them. And I am sad that I don't get to write them and I don't kind of get to live with them. You know, because um, I have, I have strong feelings about them. <laughs> yeah, you you said something which is great because this is a perfect segue. You said, but you know, you'd be going to set, and this was from uh, this is a comment I told you I was going to say something tonight uh, from our good friend Ms. Marion. Uh, who I love uh, greatly. She was uh, so awesome on the show. We got so many good mm-hmm. things uh, said about her. Just she came in with this bundle of energy that it just <laughs> just uh, took us all over. It was great. But she says maybe you could share some tips on how to be a uh, on how to be a great writer to have on set. It's not an easy thing to do, and people don't really tell new uh, newer writers what to look for. Uh, she's also saying that you give really great notes. Uh, giving notes is hard. Your writing is incredible. And when she was a script uh, coordinator, when she was script coordinating, her first drafts were incredible to read uh, and virtually no typos. So there you go. So so being a good writer on set, uh, maybe some tips for (laughs) for that, like to, you know, being a writer and on set. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it can be challenging. Um, You know, so much of it is the relationship with the director um, and, and being on this, you know, on the same page with them and, and really establishing that in prep, you know, making sure that, you guys, you know, that everybody, you know, they, they understand your intention behind the scenes, but that you also have the flexibility of their interpretation and how they're going to choose to tell this story. Um, so a lot of it is just really making sure that you are able to communicate well with the director. And, um, you know, there's like a level of mutual respect um, there, you know, like Michael Slovis and I, I loved all my directors on, on both shows, you know, Michael Slovis and I had a really particularly strong bond and, and, worked really, really well together. And, you know, there were times where he would be at his monitor and they would do a take and he'd look back at me, you know, and be like, and uh, before I would even say something, he would be like, oh, uh, we, do you want to do this? Or like, is that good? Thumbs up. And, 
you know, that kind of a shorthand is really helpful. Um, the other thing, I think the biggest thing is understanding that um, you are there as a resource, um, but you're also there as sort of, you're the one who you understand where the show is going. You know, you understand the intention behind these things. And so um, I try to approach it less from a place of like, well, I know what's right. And more of a place of like, hey, here's here's where we're going. Here's why we're doing this. You know, what can I do to kind of help you guys, uh, you know, get on that get on that path, you know, if you're having sort of any issues with it. And also, you know, when people have feedback, because they do being able to process that and understand um, what is uh, absolutely vital to the story to do exactly the way it's written and what is open to you know, an actor's, sorry, an actor's interpretation um, and, and and allowing for that flexibility. Because sometimes when you write something, it's like, no, it's this way. Mm-hmm. And then you see it and you need to be open to the fact, like, sometimes it's like a lot of the time, most of the time, it's way better, you know, and, and, and accepting that it might look different, but still good. And also just staying out of the way, like knowing where you're supposed to be um, and, and, where you what meetings you should be at and and you know being there for rehearsal but then getting out of the way because the crew needs to work and time is money and all that so it's mostly about um having a strong vision but also being collaborative and 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 understanding your place for good and you know for like when you need to step back very good answer well she spoke very highly of you and 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 everyone that i've talked to uh actually i was even talking to julian emery and she said some nice things about you as well too so (laughs) she's great i love julian i I love her so much i know she's she's (laughs) incredible i want to get her back out of character as i told you off the air we had her in character as betsy kellerman but i want to talk about some of her other great work too i mean she's just she keeps very busy which is good and uh she she knocks out of the park every time as well too here's a question from big bubbles a big bubbles fan are you also a fan of the movie hooper i i know it was a tip of your hat to your dad to have jack jack character mentioned in it Hooper? Yeah. I don't know this. Okay. I so. know I, I'm having a vague memory. I am not. I am not actually. Okay. Uh, All right. That's okay. I think that was another writer though. <laughs> no problem at all. I, I, I just I relay them as I come in. And sometimes yes. it could be the wrong I'm sorry. Thing. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um <laughs> sorry, question asker. <laughs> my my beautiful better half Sandra Lee, she uses voice text to, to and I don't think that was her error there. It wasn't um but sometimes the questions will come through and, and what I read, I'm like Ron Burgundy, I read anything that gets put in front of me. <laughs> You know, so I got to be careful because I could say some really bad things sometimes. Uh, the Vivid Kiwi. Uh, why did they, and see, I haven't seen the, a lot of the deleted scenes from season five yet. I got to get the Blu-ray. But it says, um, why did they delete uh, the scene of Lalo setting travel wire on fire? So you were out in the end of season four. Yeah. So yeah, so you might, you wouldn't know that. I no, don't know. No, we'll find yeah. out. Well, we've got, we've got oh, Peter Gould oh. coming up on uh, next, a week from Friday. Oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll talk to Peter about it. So, Vivid Kiwi, come back uh, a week from this Friday, and please ask Peter that question in person, and you can maybe have an answer from Peter. A good question from Mrs. Ignacio Varga. Uh, Where is the most challenging, or what is the most challenging part of writing for you? Hey, that's a good one. Uh, Yeah, Um, I mean, writing itself, it's a blank page. Um, I'm much better at uh, revising, even if I'm revising, even if I, like, literally, I've just written, like, write a funny joke here or like make some good line about blah, blah, blah. Like as, if I have words on a page, I'm much better at being able to revise them. And, um, but writing, just like writing that first draft is always the, the hardest, uh, most laborious part of the process for me. 
Um, as far as story creation, um, I'm very character driven and, and character heavy and I love characters. I love dialogue. I love, you know, why they do things. Um, so sometimes incident can be a bit challenging for me, you know, like what is it that they're doing here? Like, why are they doing this and coming up with, you know, kind of like fun set PC, you know, like uh, plotty things can be, uh, can be a bit of a challenge. I mean, I get there, but my first place is always like, but how do they feel? Mm. You know? And so, but what are they doing? I'm more about the why they're doing it as opposed to like the specifics of what they're doing. But it's something that, um, you know, I get to do more and more of um, and, and I, you know, it's a skill that you build and, and I definitely feel like I'm, I'm moving forward in that area as well. Good, good. Here's a question that I, I know I'm not going to be able to ask with a straight face. It always makes me giggle. Um, Blaze Gardner, <laughs> one of our good regulars and good friends, she says, uh, how did you come up with a squat cobbler? And <laughs> I just love that. I knew it was going to be squat cobbler when you said I that. I know, right? I just giggle like a little kid. And what other ideas were discussed before you settled on that? Were there other ideas? I mean, okay, you got a squat cobbler. I mean, was there worse and yeah. was there not so bad? Right. So the act itself of uh, of what the video was was theoretically that he was doing. Yeah, I think it came up fairly early that it, we wanted to do pie sitting. Um, we wanted something that was offbeat and not, you know, necessarily everybody's particular cup of tea, but that was not um, predatory or or or, you know, abusive or, or you know, anything that that would that would implicate our characters in a way that was really negative. Um, and so, you know, a slightly obscure fetish video, nobody's doing anything bad there, but you know, there are societal pressures, uh, you know, of, of, of what can be embarrassing. So I think that really just sort of like straddled that line perfectly for us. Um, the pie sitting thing. And I had, I had, cause I spend so much time on the internet. I had heard of this particular fetish and, and it had, it had like an actual name and then they were like well we just wrote he said some pies he said some pies he said some pies and we sent the scripts um at some point to bob and he was like well yes yeah you gotta name it like it can't just be like he's sitting in pies it has to have a name and i was like well this is like i think what it's actually called and he's like and then some people were like no it needs to be funnier like it has to be like a name and so then it became a brainstorming session of like what could you name it um and i don't know who came up with squat cobbler um, it was like, it might've been Tom. I don't know. Oh, I, uh, yeah, definitely, I, like, I blame Tom for sure. It's probably, there was like, you know, the Boston cream splat and like all that, like it was basically like a group brainstorming yeah. session of like, what are some funny names? So naming it actually happened later in the process. And that was because Bob, who is a, you know, he knows a little bit about comedy, just you a, know, yeah, just um, was like, yeah, that's the punchline guys. Yeah. You gotta name it. So and so you and said, now there's t-shirts it's great i know you said you're you know doing some research online but after this episode was done did you have to clear your search history <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've you know i've been in this business for a very long time and i was an assistant for many years yeah. and my ser internet search history i have been damned by it long ago yeah you know, i'm just, surprised secret service hasn't knocked on your door a couple times <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah. You know, I mean, at Breaking Bad, you can only imagine oh, the searches that I had to do for that. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I don't. I won't even say the words on YouTube. I don't want to get flagged. 
Um, yeah, I know. Here is a question. Let me see. I, I went a little too far. This one, it was from Fernando. Um, was it intentional, the relation between the scene where Walter tells Gretchen, uh, what is your presumption about me? And the scene um, where Walter says, uh, who is it that you think you see? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't remember specifically, but, but very likely there's so much about Walt that's presentational and, and this idea of like who people see him as. I mean, there's so much kind of insecurity within him and this feeling of like, I'm not getting my due. Um, and so that would obviously be a recurring theme in his life and, and particularly with the women in his life um, who he feels he's been, you know, like emasculated by. So I'm sure that there was a feeling of pairing that, but I, I can't remember if it was like, I don't think we specifically talked about it, but his pride um, has always been kind of that defining flaw for him. And so it was something we were very conscious of, like anytime he makes a mistake, it's pretty much due to pride. Um, at least, you know, in the later seasons for sure. Mm -hmm. um, well, in the early seasons when he turns down the money. So, you know, like it, it was, it was kind of a guide guidepost for us throughout. Good. Good answer for sure. Uh, here's a question about video gaming. I told you we probably get into video games. This is from Nat. She says, you're a big video game fan. Uh, what is the game that you have played over and over again throughout the years? Uh, never get tired. And what's the next game you're going to play? Um, so my favorite, it's two game series, Mass Effect okay. and um, Dragon Age series. They're both Bioware games. And I can play those again and again and again and again. Mass Effect is probably my like greatest love because I love sci-fi and space mm -hmm. um, uh, as well as fantasy. Uh, but yeah, I never get, they're like my comfort games. I'm playing Dragon Age right now because it's a weird time and right. there's a lot of stress. So uh, going to comfort games. Um, as far as my next game... I'm really excited for the Horizon Zero Dawn sequel, which I know is not out yet. Um, and then I have not played Last of Us 2 yet, so please don't post any like weird no. stuff to me or anything about spoilers because I would like to go in fresh. Um, so yeah, so that's probably the next thing up in my in my queue. And and yeah, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to play this cyberpunk game. So, okay, you know. I'm hearing really mixed reviews on cyberpunk. I really am. It, it sounds yeah. it sounds like they're banking on Keanu Reeves' character and. Kind of like well, what uh, Walking Dead did. I, I forget the name of the game. Junior told me, but it's an eight. Norman Reedus is in it. I uh, climbed the mountain yeah. thing, whatever that was called. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah Death Strand. Yeah, that's Death Strand or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind yeah. of a drag. One we're looking forward to, to. I guess it comes out tomorrow. My son got into um, the Oculus, like the VR stuff, right? And do you remember a game? Oh, yeah. I used to love this game, uh, a CD-ROM game back in the day. It was uh, the Mist. Right? Mist. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are they bringing that out tomorrow. for Oculus? Yeah, and the, I saw some gameplay tonight. And I get really motion sick for that kind of stuff, but I think I've tried to set on once. And I was just looking at some apartments and stuff like that. It didn't seem to make me look. I mean, it didn't seem to make me motion sick. So I'm gonna try it. But it's just, it was beautiful then, back in back in the early '90s yeah. or whatever. Uh, but did you ever? This wasn't a question I had for you, but just because we're talking video games, did you ever play some games back as a kid? And like you, they were just like the 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 cat's ass, so to speak, of greatest game ever. And then you come back like a couple games I played that I thought I loved. Like ghouls and ghosts and ghosts and goblins, whatever. There's two different platforms, whatever. You know, just running through the cemetery year and night, you know, shooting the zombies and stuff yeah. like that. And I thought I loved the game. And you get them again now, like through Nintendo Wii and stuff like, or uh, the Switch and stuff like that. And like, my God, this game is hard as hell. And and why is it, why did I think it was so good? And how could I have been good at this game? Did you do you ever have any games like that, that you go back and rediscover? Yeah. Um, 
it's funny. I think the thing about difficulty is so interesting because I didn't have like a Nintendo when I was a kid. I was the one kid who didn't. So I never got good at any of those games because I would go to my friends to play them and they wouldn't want to play because they played it all the time. It's like having a friend with a pool, you know, they like never want to go swimming. Um, and so I always thought I was bad at video games because like when I would go to play Mario or Link or, you know, Zelda and all that stuff, I was like, oh, I suck at this. I keep dying. And now I'm realizing like more and more in retrospect, like games were harder at that time because you didn't have save points like you do now. You didn't have difficulty settings. It was like you just you get sent back to the beginning. Um, and so I think like when I revisit, I'm a little bit gentler with myself, actually. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, no, this is repetitive and, and, and hard. But like, it was kind of that was what they were building at the time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, my biggest gateway game when I was younger was GoldenEye. Um, oh, yeah. On N64. Yeah. And I mean, that game, I went back to it recently. And I was just like, I don't even know how to control this anymore. Yeah. Um, but it, it it did. I feel like, especially the two-player fighting. I just, I don't know how that. I don't know how you ever age out of that. It's just, it's just deeply satisfying, especially if you're just slapping each other. For sure. Um, you know, you know. This will be the last video game thing I'll say. But one I remember that is, this is nice when you when you think you love the game and you go back and you love it just as much as you thought you did. Do you remember yeah. one called Blaster Master? Oh yeah. 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 Wasn't that great? Like, not only was it, <laughs> not only were you in this little tank. But you could jump your guy out, and then you know you could pew 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 pew, and then and then we'd go into the the other levels where he'd be a, the big character and stuff like that. It's yeah. I would say the difficulty factor for me now is if I, on a on a one to ten, I'd say probably an eight or a nine for difficulty. When I was a younger teen, whatever, um, I, I don't think it was that hard, but I, at least it made me yeah. really elated again. Like, oh, I loved it then, I still love it. Yeah, that was a good yeah. one. No, I mean, there's definitely, and like I, you know, I love like like Galaga. I mean, like, oh, like yeah, for ridiculous sure. Ridiculous stuff like that, you know, that's so simple. But every time I if I go anywhere that has an arcade and I see it like that's my game. I mm -hmm. just I don't know. And again, it's so simple. I know, right? I don't know. Just, Hand it just like hits that particular thing, I guess. Yeah, good memories for sure. Remember those days going to the arcades like we don't get really get to, especially in the days of COVID. But you know, as, as things are different now, we'd go to the arcade and spend bring as many quarters as we could and hang out there and the music playing. Oh, I miss those days. Yeah. Here's yeah. a good question from Lori. Lori comes up with some really a really deep dive questions. She's really good for this. Uh, she says, "Did you know Carlton Cuse before we uh, you worked on uh, the Strain, and were you a fan of Lost?" Uh, so the funniest thing about that is my very first PA job, I was a production office PA in San Francisco on Nash Bridges, which was a show that uh, Carlton uh, created. And he was the showrunner. Uh, and so, um, so I had known him from that. I'd met him once, you know, I was a production office PA and I was in San Francisco. He was in LA. There was, I think I met him once in the office. I remember meeting him. He's very tall. Um, and I, 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 I was a fan of Lost. I, I fell off fairly early. I fell off in season two, actually. Um, but I, 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 I loved all the potential of it and so much of, of what was going on in the story. Um, but when I ended up working on The Strain, I think in the interview, I said, you know, like my first job was Nash Bridges. And it was this, he like was like, oh my God. It was like this kind of weird um, connection. And, and it was really cool to end up working for him uh, with him as a writer and, and the stream was my first producer credit as well. So to go from a Carlton Q show, it's like literally like the lowest position you can, um, on the crew to being a producer on one of his shows was like a really interesting kind of, you know, circle, yeah. um, to complete. 
yeah and and i had a great time on the strain and he was he was so supportive of me as a writer and a producer great uh, in particular that'll always have a, a very special place for you for sure yeah <laughs> awesome and i i haven't seen lost i haven't seen one episode of lost can you believe it oh really <laughs> no i haven't i feel embarrassed to say it but i mean i i always i put let the skeletons out of the closet i've never seen it and just we talked about julianne emery earlier i had been a long time since i i had i, I gave into watching preacher i didn't know if it was my yeah. thing but of course the people that were involved with it i mean we got dave porter over there we got sam over there you know and julianne yeah. being on there i was like well i gotta check it out and then I was glued to my my Netflix, you know, I just did not leave, loved it. So I got to get out of my comfort zone sometimes and try some of these things. And my son is yeah. in the chat right now, Eric Jr. And I want, the reason why I want to mention him is, uh, well, many reasons. I love the guy. We were talking about him uh, off the air. But I, I told him that, um, you know, as soon as I said you had this thing with gaming keyboards and, and mechanical keyboards, you should say, he's yeah. like, hmm, he, you know, now he's interested, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he loves Breaking right. Bad, loves Better Call Saul, but you're talking uh, keyboards. Now, he's, now you want him over. And this is what's cool about Eric Jr. I want him to realize what you love about them. And it threw me for a loop as well, too. What is the fascination with mechanical keyboards? Oh, yeah. I don't really use them for gaming. I use them for writing um, because I I like the... Um, I go for tactile switches. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I like the, I like that tactile feeling. I like the sound of the keys clacking and, and, and that feedback. And it's funny because it's actually it induces me to write more because the sensory experience of writing is satisfying. And so it's like, oh, I, I want to get on a run here. I want to be typing a lot. Um, so yeah, no, I've been using them exclusively for writing and, and it's actually helps helped my writing. That's, that's so. great. The clacking would be therapeutic. Yes, yes. I like that. And, and, and they're also just very meditative because you have to set them up and build them and you got to get your, and so it's a, it's a nice way to like, I basically am sitting there setting up my keyboard and watching, you know, Schitt's Creek and like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's been very uh, meditative during COVID. Oh, well, that's good. Now, he, oh, yeah. he knows more about that when I do. And obviously, like we talked about this as well, too, like green switches <laughs> and red switches and purple switches red, and brown. Yeah, brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, do you go for the ones that are like the, the most clacky to give you the mo that experience? No. Okay. No, I do not go for I like a, I like a silent tactile. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah, no, because then you're more, it's more the, the like, it's a different kind of sound and then you get the the key caps give you a sound as well but no i i the clicky one the clicky um switches are interesting but i think they would drive me crazy at this yeah. point unfortunately so you know if anyone's just jumping into the show right now and they come in and they hear you say silent tactile they might be thinking that we're talking military <laughs> weapons and who knows what know, we're talking about I right know. the silent tactile i'll go for silent tactile night vision you know all that kind of stuff no that's really yeah. cool though because i would have expected gaming right we just i, I assume gaming yeah. and that's very cool yeah no, uh, I play on consoles, uh, not on PC. So I saw you want you posting about uh, getting a PS Five. That is his one thing he wants for Christmas. Did I, you get one? I don't have one. I don't no. have one yet. I I I I, I desperately want one. But um, are you going to get? You know, have to do the work. You're going to go digital, or do you want the one with the that'll take the disc? I want the discs. I like I like a physical. I like physical media. I'm 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 the right age to uh, to appreciate physical media and mm -hmm. and want that. Um, archive because the digital they can just it can just go away. I know. You don't own it. <laughs> well, it's nice to have a, a for a Blu-ray player too. So not everybody has a Blu-ray player yeah. in the house. So we're trying exactly. desperately. I've got a lot of my friends watching. For like even some over in the I'm in Canada. Uh, so some mm -hmm. of my friends even that are in the chat right now, they're trying to find one for me and they'll ship me one over here. I want to get one real bad for them. And you know, we, we, yeah. Junior says, well, we can get an Xbox. Or he tried swaying me on the Xbox for a little bit. But I've always I, I have mad respect for Xboxes. But I've just been a Sony guy. I really enjoy Sony. 
It just do. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I have both, but I definitely go more towards my 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 PlayStation. It's yeah. I- I'm certainly not saying one's better than the other. I just I just really like Sony. Uh, Shawshank brought yeah. up a, a good point. I couldn't believe this is actually an anniversary tonight. Shawshank says, uh, also, this is the four-month anniversary of Inside the Giliverse. The first episode was with Peter oh. Dyseth. Uh, have, we have a great, uh, it's been a great community and some excellent discussions with the, uh, the vast of the Giliverse show. So thank you for uh, mentioning that. I had no idea. I told you how this thing came about, just talking to Tom, and here we are. 21 episodes in hard to believe uh, it's been it's been a great thing for like covid's been hell on all of us and i think we're all looking for something to do and uh you know people are really looking forward to season six of uh, better call saul and this has been kind of a community therapy session <laughs> for all of us yeah. it's made me feel a lot yeah. better and getting this i've made so many cool friends all thanks to the the the, the writers like all your colleagues um, it's it's been great. I'm really really glad I decided to do this show. So thank you for reminding us on the anniversary. Four months. Yeah. Lots more to go. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Peter was so great. Did you see? Did you see his uh, his self tape audition with his cat? It, was, it went big time viral on no. Twitter. Yeah. So he's oh, he's no, doing a re- he's doing a read. Look it up after you'll, you'll thank me later. And he's got a you know a sheet in the back. And, you know, he's doing the typical you know I'm uh, Peter Dyseth. I'm six foot three. Whatever. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And and all of a sudden. Um, I think his cat's name is June. I I, I forget. Uh-huh. I, I want to say it's I, June. Yeah. Comes flying okay. in and um, oh, how, what do they say? And I, I'm worse at retelling a, jo- a joke, uh, a punchline, whatever. Um, um, oh, but it was just so funny what he said. Something like "Heaven's to Betsy" or something like. Cassandra might she could probably <laughs> tell me. But and she takes down yeah. the whole thing, right? It's almost like, yeah. hey, you're not the star. I'm the star. So Peter <laughs> Dyseth loved him, and he was our very first guest on the show here. Uh, he's he's lovely. I've never met him in person. No, right? Sadly, eh? but uh, but no, I love him, and he's he, he. That's a that's a that's definitely a story of an actor making a character um really come alive, and and then you want to write for them. Yeah, so. that's right. And being working, you know, in uh, side by side with Bob Odenkirk, and you know, going toe to toe with Bob. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, being funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Hard. handling his own. That's right. I mean, Bob would you know can upstage anybody easily. He's just so good. But, you know, kudos to, to Peter. Love him. He's a very nice guy. Uh, Karina says, the episode you wrote, I See I see You from Season 3, Episode 8 of Breaking Bad, started off with one of my favorite Jesse lines, uh, uh, Roll Me Further, Bitch. Did that come up with, the, uh, uh, did you come up with that particular line? Uh, gosh, um, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It I goes mean, back a bit. Yeah, like, it, it's so interesting because who comes up with what is it you know it's you're it's usually like a a group 80 percent is you but you have the stuff from the room you have stuff that comes up in notes you have actors so yeah no i don't know i don't know i <laughs> i was less uh i i i think i wrote fewer of the sort of like jesse you know saying bitch lines i i was always that was um i'm much better uh you know with the variations of douchebag so you know uh, yeah that's my particular <laughs> <laughs> that one that one worked well for you. It, it's, yeah. So any any Hankisms like that was me. I was right okay, there. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know it's funny because I know you've said this a million times. And the writers all say this, like you know, because it's such a uh, group effort. You know, you might almost forget, and it's not like someone's trying to take credit yeah. for it. It's just like we heard it so many times, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Who who originally said that? Oh, Tom, you can have it, or Jenny, you can have it, or whatever. 
But that's happened yeah. to me before too. And I certainly don't uh, mean to do it, especially when it's my better half. But I, I've come up with some ideas. I'll say, hey, hey, sweetie, I got this great idea. Like one time I did a limited range show. I was do- doing a show here on, on Walking Dead. It was called Rocking Dead. And it's a little bit, and a little bit of a run, had maybe six, eight, ten episodes. And um, in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I said, Hey, sweetie, I got this great idea. I'm going to do a show on, on Walking Dead, you know, Walking Dead, and we'll have people from the show, whatever. And she looked at me with this cold, cold look. I'm like, what? I, I said, don't you like my idea? And, you know, two months before, she was the one who gave me the idea. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, all right. I'm sorry. I'm backpedaling a little bit. You yeah. know, so you certainly don't mean to take credit. I guess that's just yeah. what we do. We all end up with lines with iconic lines in, in other people's episodes. And so it kind of, ba- it balances out, you know? So it's like, you're like, oh, they got my cool line and they mm-hmm. got credit for it. But then you get a cool line from somebody else. So it, it, it is, it, I, that collaboration is great. And you end up with sort of the best, the best show. And again, so much of your script is you, but it, it, it's, you have that collective brain trust to really bring those moments home and make sure that, that they're, they, they are resounding, you mm-hmm. know, I agree. moments. So Here's a great question from Shawshank, and I'm really glad he brought this question up because I told you I was going to ask something similar uh, about one of my favorite episodes that you wrote. So Shawshank says, Salute is one of the best Breaking Bad episodes. Uh, how did the writer's room decide on Gus's plan to wipe out Don Eladio and his entire gang? Uh, wow. Um, part of this is because it's been a long time since, mm-hmm. since we did the show. I mean, you know, Gus was always moving towards this sort of elaborate, uh, you know, 20 year, however many year uh, um, plan of um, of revenge. Uh, I think we really like the idea of Gus uh, kind of using sheer willpower to take them down, like by poisoning himself. You know, it just was such a it, it just says so much about that character, you know, that like he's willing to poison himself in order to bring down you know, this enemy of his, um, and, and, you know, it's kind of a foolproof, it's a foolproof plan in the sense of like, they're not going to think that he knows he's going to have him drink first. He knows that if he's going to go with this and, and, and it, it also gives him the upper hand because he's completely outnumbered. So if you poison everybody, then, um, you only have, you know, gas, you got to take care of, like, you, you're not, you're not dealing with as, as many things. And we also like the, the, the very specific imagery of him, you know, uh, throwing up the the alcohol, taking the pill, you know, doing all those things. Like, what would he do to also be smart about it? And then having this doctor that he's ready there to do all these transfusions. So I think it was really talking about, like, how would someone like Gus do this? Like, mm-hmm. he wouldn't come in with guns blazing. He nope. just wouldn't. And so it was like, what's the most Gus way to kill somebody? And it's like to almost kill yourself in the process, you know? Um, so yeah, it, we were like poisoning and then all that other stuff kind of came together and then bringing Jesse into it. Um, it just, it, you know, it, it was, it, I don't know. He's, he does this, these things that I guess would normal, normally be considered sneaky, but they're really just sort of smart and subtle. Like there isn't a, there isn't like, well, I have to be the loudest person taking someone down. It's like, no, I just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, win. what's scary about that is we've seen that we've all seen this in so many movies where someone's going to get killed uh, with, and by poisoning in a case like this. So, okay, someone will have to be dinner. Um, well, the, even, in, uh, again, too, when, when Walt and Jesse tried to poison Tuco, right? But let's yeah. let's let's get outside of the Gilliverse for a moment, you know, poisoning some food and they're going to eat it, whatever. And then, um, then the, sometimes the table gets spun around and then you don't know who's got the poison. But to go to the extent that you guys did, 
that was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. You put the fear in us. Okay, now what's going to happen? Yeah. And then it executed, and it was it was fantastic, and almost causing Gus's life. Uh, so that was yeah. really well done. I, I can't really give an example of anything else on television I've ever seen that executed that so so smoothly. Scary, mentally scary. Oh, you know. You. So kudos on that. Uh, here's a good question, and we're getting close to the end of the show here. Henry says, if you were to have another Better Call Saul episode titled something blank, what would it be called? Something, oh, oh, gosh. Um, gosh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, something forgotten. Probably, I don't know. I've got a <laughs> bunch of different ones floating around in my head. You know, probably something along the lines of like, because I'm like this, you know, like, uh, you know, something important, like something vital, something like mm-hmm. I'm just very much about like, or, you know, I don't know. It, it's weird because like, I don't do kind of those joke, more jokey titles that feel like references. I always want to do stuff that just feels like stab you in the heart, you mm-hmm. know, and, and be evocative. So I probably do something really snobby and evocative about like, you know, the human condition. <laughs> I, I tell you what, why don't we go into a joke right now? Cause I've been meaning to do this with the past three or four guests. And I forgot to always ask. I did ask Michael Slovis this off the air. So how about we say something stinks and we'll say, because <laughs> there's, a, there's a right answer to this. And I'm not sure if you've seen any of our other shows, but we bring it up once in a while. And this is a Tom Schnauz thing. What do you think it smells like in the Gilliverse? What do I think it smells like mm-hmm. in the Gilliverse? And not, not like a stinky um, writer's room or anything like that. <laughs> the sweaty writer's room. In the Gilliverse? Yeah. Um, I think it smells like um, very fine, like, whiskey. <laughs> okay. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I have or, one more, have one more regret. thing. Regret? Regret? <laughs> regret. Okay, okay. Well, Just for the characters. I feel like there's so much regret among the characters. Okay, well, there is, a two, there is a two-part answer. There's two things that smell. So the whiskey, um, or regret, I should say. The, re, the regret is close. Uh, and we asked the same question to Vince Gilligan, and Vince got one of the two. Uh, my answer when uh, Tom presented it to me uh, was I said Coca Bolo, like Coca Bolo would. You know, I'm thinking of Jim's oh, yeah, desk, yeah. right? It was. I couldn't. I couldn't have been further from the the answer, but it is bacon and fear. <gasps> That's right. Bacon. bacon. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of bacon? Yeah, Tom. Practically bacon. made of bacon. <laughs> um, yeah. No. No. Yeah. And fear. Yeah. yeah. No fear. I got it. So I tend to be the slightly more positive person in yeah. that room. So. <laughs> Well, regret and fear can have, I mean, you know, cause they, could. they could go hand in hand. I so. mean, yeah. Yeah. Fear is often driven by this like feeling of not wanting to regret something. That's right. So. I'm going to give you half a point. All right. Okay, good. You get half Yay. a point. Awesome. All right. Ding, ding, ding. That's good. Actually, we need, we need this. Okay. Awesome. Good. And Junior says, Cherry Browns are where it's at for silent tactile switches. Says Junior. So there we go. That The expert in the house <laughs> says there. Uh, so one of the last questions of the evening here, Nat says, if Chuck hadn't taken his own life, uh, a great episode. Uh, what path do you think the show would have taken? Could Saul, could the Saul we know from Breaking Bad have his uh, strict brother still around? Mm. Right. I mean, you know, so much of the show was about what are the things that grounds Jimmy McGill and Jimmy McGill and how do you strip those away from him? Um, and there's, you know, there's a couple things. Um, and Chuck McGill is, is one of the big ones. And so, you know, he really always was kind of doomed because I don't think that Jimmy could become Saul if Chuck was around. I, I, I really don't, you know, because he was always, there was always that pulling him back. And I think even at the end when they were so estranged, there was, there was still that like, you know, Chuck is the person that he wants to impress the most. Um, 
who he wants to see him, you know, for who he really, he really is and who refuses to. And, and if, if there was still a chance that he could show Chuck that he wasn't the scumbag that Chuck thought he was, I, I don't think he ever would have become that person. So no, I think I, I, I really hated killing him. And, and that was a very, very difficult episode to write and a very difficult episode to watch actually. Um, and, but yeah, I think he had to go unfortunately to get Saul who I'm also sad that Jimmy becomes Saul. I love Jimmy. I don't want Jimmy I to know, die. Right? Yeah. Saul, so. it, it was sad to see, like, it, it's funny. Like I, I've always been a fan of Michael McKeon uh, and everything he's done yeah, being a musician. Too. I love him in Spinal Tap. I mean, of, you know, one of many, many things he's done, obviously uh, so many, so many pieces of uh, brilliant work. But I loved him and I hated him on the show, and that goes to show you how much. Like, not only is he a great actor, but the lines that you and the team wrote for him, you know, it, it goes to show you that the what happens behind the scenes to make a, a good, you know, good television. Yeah. It's sad to see him go, but it did really, really well. Did it? Did it change Jimmy? I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, he kind of got over it pretty quickly. Uh, it's hard, hard to say. You know, but uh, did he? You you broke up there just for a second. Can you repeat that? <laughs> I said, did he though? Did, did he, he really get over it quickly? He, yeah, that's so. the thing, right? I don't know. I don't know. Well, listen, we're at we're at the end of the show here. This has been. I knew it was going to be good. I've I really uh, enjoyed having your time this evening. I hope you had fun. It feels like a Friday, which yeah. is nice and nice to make a Wednesday feel like a Friday. It's <laughs> it's been great to have you. And uh, thank I you look, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I look forward to hearing more from you. Maybe next year you can tell us a little bit more at your other project there. As uh, hopefully, gosh, I'm I'm dying to tell you something. <laughs> I know, right? I know you want to tell a lot of people as well. I, I know you get this, uh, you know, going. <laughs> Um, oh, here's a good a good uh, uh, super chat from Saul Gibbon Twitter. Says everyone, please mask up. Great show, he says. They say. Uh, so agreed. Be safe out there. Do, you know, and I know yeah. we're approaching. Uh, you over in the United States has had your uh, Thanksgiving. We had ours back in October, and we, Christmas is coming for those that celebrate it. And we all want to be with our families, but you know, if if it travels involved, it's just just do the right thing, and um, everyone will get through this on the other side, and people get back to work. And uh, it'll, it'll be a much better place, but just do the, do the right thing to uh, get through this. Vaccines are coming out now, which is looking good. We've got some over here in Canada. Um, you know, it's looking looking good. Fingers crossed. Yeah. But I just want to also, unfortunately, um, thank you for your time as well tonight. But I want to say thank you to a few of our people here as well, too. I want to say thank you to our channel members here. We have a membership option here. You can join down below our Patreon supporters, uh, my beautiful Sandra Lee, of course, for running the chat efficiently as she does every week. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be, I would be able to get half these questions to you. And I still miss them sometimes, but that's my fault, not hers. Um, there are subscribers, our super chatters, and our PayPal donators, and those that buy our merch like I'm wearing right now at the Broadstash Boutique. Thank you so very, very much. And we'll be back. Um, there's We're still working on this Friday show, but the following Friday is going to be Peter Gould. So we're looking forward to having him back. And uh, we had lots of fun last time. We surprised him last time. with I'm, I'm not going to be able to trump this again, but we surprised him with Bob Odenkirk himself last time he was oh, here. Nice. So that was fun. <laughs> we kept that a secret for a little bit. So, Jenny, don't go away. I'll say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, see you uh, real soon. And until next time, cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gilliverse with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul.